White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 671. Andy, that's a lot of podcasts. That's a lot of podcasts. The White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast is brought to you by people like you, our Patreon.com family. To join the ranks and help us keep the show going, visit www.b5review.com. That's www.b5review.com and click on the button to become a patron. It's the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. Reviewing the entire Babylon 5 series, plus Crusade and everything else. Now here are your hosts, Van Allen Plexico and Andy Fix. Hey everybody, we are back for the end of Epic Season 3. It is the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast, the podcast with the longest name in podcasting. I am your host, Van Allen Plexico, joined as always by my co-host, Andy Fix. How are you doing tonight, Andy? Van, I am doing wonderful, and I'm excited to chat about Season 3. I, I can't believe we're to the end of Season 3. We've already done a couple of bonus episodes after Season 3, and this is like the bonuses of the right. episodes. Here we are. <laughs> I know. This I know. episode flew right by. I, 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 it seems like episode, or I'm sorry, Season 2 and Season 3, we're kind of mashed together. Right? Mm-hmm. It seems like Sheridan just got on board Babylon 5. I know it. That is true. Yeah. And joining us, as always, for our season-ending review episode is the great Nathan Laws. Welcome aboard, Nathan. Hey, thanks for having me back on, Van. So glad, as always, to have you for this. And we have a pinch hitter tonight. Um, our fourth cohort for these episodes, Bobby Polite, was not available currently this week. Uh, he may be on assignment where we usually send Andy on assignment when he's not <laughs> available. And so stepping in tonight is Thaddeus Papke. Welcome aboard, Thaddeus. How are you? I am utterly fantastic and happy to be here. Thank you, Van. Well, so glad to have you. So glad to have you. So we got four big Babylon 5 fans, as always, ready to talk about a season that we're going to we're going to dis- one one of the questions we're going to discuss is was this the biggest Babylon 5 season because I think there are really two two contenders unless anybody wants to get weird you're welcome to get weird and say man season 1 dog or something or season 5 is way uh, yeah underrated but I, I honestly think that most people, if you add, if you did a poll, it would fairly evenly divide three and four for very different reasons. So we're going to talk about that. Okay. So um, as always, we have some categories of, that are just for this type of episode, right? Not our usual categories. Um, but we're going to start out tonight. Am I forget any? Am I forgetting any housekeeping business before? Because this is different than our usual format. So what, what am I forgetting? I know I'm forgetting something. Uh, I don't, I, I, I don't think you're forgetting anything. Okay. okay. I don't know, Van. You're the, you're, you're <laughs> the, the, the brains of the outfit. I'm just here for the good looks. Oh, good looks. Well, <laughs> you're half right there. If, if I'm the brains, we're in deep, deep trouble. I guess well, I, I will say, come aboard our, as, 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 as mentioned in the, uh, as the introduction, come aboard our Patreon, uh, go to patreon.com and I'll be thanking our current patrons when we get to kind of the mid to later point of the show. But for the first, for the first part, I just want to talk a little bit about season three and, um, what do you guys think, what made this season special? 
I mean, I, let's just leave it as open as that to begin with, and we can drill down if we want to. So, uh, let me start with Nathan. What made season three special by, compared to like the other four or whatever? Okay, so here's the thing about season three for me, and I was probably like 15 when this season came out, and maybe it was a little naive, but. I actually, they were able to get me to suspend my disbelief enough to believe that maybe this was a show that would have the bad guys win. Things Hmm. were, they, they, I've never had this experience with a TV show before where it was like the stakes seemed so high and the heroes seemed like they were on such, you know, they were such underdogs for what was happening. And with the way the season ends, I was like, my God, this series has already done so many things that I would I'd never seen a TV show do before. I was like, could we actually see a story where the bad guys are going to win? And it actually had me, you know, like worried, you know, uh, especially towards the end of the season and with all the stuff going down. And when when Sheridan, you know, jumps off at Zaha Duma, I was like, okay, well, Kosh told him to jump, but maybe? Like, could they actually kill him off too? Like, like I was actually worried about it. So, you know, like it's it, it's it's yeah. Like, like I I couldn't believe what they did. And then there's all the character stuff going on. That again, the show had already done such a great job with that kind of stuff. You know, in the first two seasons, but they just took it a level further. Jakar becomes a completely different character, but you buy the arc because they put the work into it. Whereas a lot of shows now, I think, are kind of lazy with that, where they'll do character arcs, but it feels like someone who is more of an antagonist becomes a hero without having to go through a lot of mileage to get there. They don't really have to go through like a strong redemption arc to do that. It's just like, Oh, I stopped doing bad things and I helped the good guys now. And now I'm a hero. And it's like, Mm -hmm. wait a minute, but you did all this awful stuff. Jakar has to go through redemption. Jakar has to go through rock bottom to sort of become a much more, you know, altruistic you know, character. And I mean, of course we're still kind of in the process of that as we go through this season, but it's like that kind of character mileage that they went through. And it wasn't just Jakar. He's just the one that stands out the most, I think of the characters that uh, all of that, like just made this season uh, completely special for me. And, and honestly um, the way that it ended uh, on a downbeat note, I I know that, I I know that uh, Van, you're, you're not as much of a fan of, of the empire strikes back uh, as I am, but like that, that sort of downbeat ending kind of way of ending, like something like a, like a middle story I think is fantastic. Uh, And so like, that's that I compare it to empire a lot. That is just like, because then you're hooked for, okay, I know there's going to be a continuation. I want to see how the heroes sort of like pull through uh, and and much like how Empire is my favorite of the of the Star Wars movies, this is my favorite of the Babylon Five seasons. No, that makes sense. Uh, Thaddeus, yeah. what are your thoughts along those lines? All right. Well, uh, so first, a a disclaimer. You know, Andy asked if I could uh, step in. You know, I think two days ago, so it did not exactly give me time to rewatch this season. Um, I I had time to watch exactly one episode um, beforehand from this season. Uh, and one that kind of gets to one of the points that Nathan was talking about. And it wasn't my favorite episode. I had to, like, put that one aside, and we'll get to what my favorite one is later. Um, It was just the second episode, Convictions, and it's Mm. specifically because of the Londo and Jakar trapped in the elevator scene Mm. and because it's such a moment of, of revealing the character growth 
that both of these characters have been going through and how their stories have been changing. And Jakar is really at that transition point where he is blustering. He's got a little bit of the villain still there that we saw in villain in season one, but he's also been through, you know, so much and you can really feel his hurt and anger and it feels so justified in that moment. You know, even though he's the one who wants somebody else to die, you're still feeling sympathy for him in that moment. Um, and this was the season that I think really hit that idea of the character growth for these characters, where you got to not just learn who they were, but where you really did get to see them change. Uh, and the other thing about season three that really impressed me and made it stand out to me as a work of television, you know, in the context of this being the 90s, when we're used to serialized television, we're used to things returning to that status quo after every episode, or at least something very close to it. This was the one where you really got to see changes happen. You got to see a major character leave and never come back. You got to see, um, I mean, really specifically the the Severed Dreams episode, you got to see them leaving, uh, breaking away from Earth, and it didn't get fixed an episode or two later. You know, you can imagine an episode of other shows where like, yeah, you know, like we're going to take a stand or, you know, we're going to end on a cliffhanger. But within, you know, one or two episodes, it's going to return to what it was before. And this one didn't. And because of that, when Sheridan jumps off the cliff at the end, there is that moment of like, yeah, maybe they really did kill him. This is a show that is willing to make changes and have them stick. So that that's what really impressed me and stands out to me about this episode. It was or this season. It was the season that proved the they will do that. They will make a change and that change will stick around. Yeah, for sure. Um Andy, let me interject something before I forget it cuz you know how I'll forget things. Um because because Thaddeus made me think of it. Sever dreams that moment of Star Trek would never do this moment. I like to think of it in Babylon Five, right? And that's not a slide on Star Trek. It's just a. It was just a different kind of show, and that's that. It, it does mm-hmm. its thing great, but it's a different yeah. kind of show. But it would never have done this. I would always tell people this is like if Captain Kirk and the Enterprise declared independence from the Federation and became their own country or something, and it and it lasted multiple <laughs> seasons, and they, you just can't mm-hmm. even conceive of it. But it, yeah. it, Severed Dreams what set me up. And like you say, that is, I was expecting it. I, well, a, I was never expecting it would happen. I just didn't know mm-hmm. where they were going. When, when, um, when they say they're coming for us at the end of like Point of No Return, I'm like, oh crap! I have no idea what they're going to do. I have no idea what they're going to do. The thought of them declaring mm-hmm. independence and fighting a battle never occurred to me. Which is, which is, I just was shocked. And then, but the, but the, the here's the thing though. Here's what drove it home for me. That set it up. But what knocked it out of the park was the next episode when they did the establishing shot of the station, there's the Minbari ships cruising around it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, holy... Because in, in 1996, I guess, or whatever it was, when they've got that continuity, mm-hmm. that the, 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 the establishing shots that are just in throwaway shots in between scenes are now concurrent with what's actually happening, and they didn't forget about it. Every show in TV history before that would have totally forgotten about it, and it would have just looked the same as it always did. And I was just... Yeah. It's such a small thing, but they thought about it. 
Yeah, that, Van mm-hmm. blew uh, me away. The other thing that Star Trek would have never done is when Sheridan makes it goes you know into the command and control center and he says if anybody disagrees with what I'm about to do, you better leave now. And Star Trek or any other show, they would have been like, no, we trust you, Captain. We're with you 100%. Like, three or four people, like, get up and they leave. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, there's going to be some people who are just, like, minded of the fact of, I don't want to be, like, a criminal back home, you know? Like, I'm, no. I'm out of here. No, yeah. And, and Ivanova goes, ugh, when they leave. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like, they were, rege- they were reacting to, the characters were reacting to it, too, not just us. That's right. Yeah. That's so good. Uh, Andy, the floor is yours. I apologize. Well, I, I I would have to agree with what everybody else has said. I mean, it, it for me, this season was not just for the series, but for my television watching habits was a game changer for all the reasons you guys mentioned. It the, it took the status quo because every other show out there, I have loved Star Trek: The Next Generation, but mm-hmm. you know when Picard got changed into a Borg into like. To what Thaddeus was saying, two episodes later, he was back as Jean-Luc Picard with maybe a little scar, which was gone by the next episode anyway. So it, it wasn't until many seasons later that Star Trek started to, you know, play into their their continuity. But for Babylon 5, continuity is everything, you know, much to their detriment, because unlike Star Trek and all the other space shows, they didn't get syndicated repeats because you couldn't. You know, it, the the thing about syndicated repeats is anybody could jump in at any point in time and watch an episode of your show and know what was going on from beginning to end. That is not going to happen with Babylon 5, especially starting with season three, because everything changes and you never know what character is going to live from moment to moment or or what station, if, if the station is even going to exist in the next episode. I mean, it was just it was crazy. It was it was game changing for the TV industry. And it, it it really set everything on its ear, and it was spectacular to, to experience firsthand. Yeah. That makes me wonder how when TNT finally started airing it, like, as a, you know, five days a week, just a continuous stream of the whole show, how it did ratings-wise. Because, yeah, like, that, that you know, for people who just are casual people tuning in, like, they're just, like tune in one day and then we're just like i'm out or did they keep going so that that was how i found the show i wasn't i didn't watch the show when it first came out um it was towards it was like i I, it was right at that time when tnt was starting to air Mm. it i was uh dating someone um my my now ex-wife who andy knows um and her family were super big fans and they were like you know, we love the show. We're like really excited that it's being shown on TNT right now. You should watch it. And so I started trying to pick up episodes and they would like mention things at dinner about something to do with Sheridan. And I'd be like, um, you mean Sinclair? I thought you guys were fans of this show. <laughs> Sinclair's the main guy. What, like, what's wrong with you guys? Um, so, but it was, it was hard to like pick up the show and, you know, be aware of what's going on in those pre-streaming services days, yeah. but it was a good enough show that I, you know, started trying to make the effort to really figure out what was going on and try to watch it from the beginning as, as I was able to. But it, but it was kind of a challenge for somebody who didn't have somebody really pushing them to watch it. It would have been tough to really just pick up during those days. And oh, yeah. and an interesting thing to point out is. Not a single character in season three is is the same character they were in season one. They're, mm-hmm. Not a single character. They're all different. Some of them completely different. I mean, everybody goes through massive changes at the end of, of season three that completely rewrites. You know, the, you wouldn't recognize any of the characters from season one, especially the handshake. Player. 
between Londo and Jakar is just so beautifully done. It is one of like the fantastic like parts of this series is watching their positions like reverse, you know. And but it doesn't end there either, which of yeah. course that's later seasons. But it's just it's just fascinating to see that thing of oh Londo the poor clown, why is he picking on him? And you know like in Jakar, oh that nasty Jakar to go to like Jakar, you're having all the sympathy for while Londo becomes like you know this awful tyrant for a while. Oh, he's doing the Hitler speech by the by halfway through the through the yeah yeah literally yeah yeah mm-hmm. all right so I want to ask the let's do the debate here quickly season three and season four and we we haven't covered season four yet and I know that it's not as fresh in and certainly in our minds yet Andy although you sometimes sneak ahead a little bit so maybe you have a little more fresh idea I don't I I stay very strictly with where we are in the reviews um, but um, do you guys have a feeling as to whether three or four was the biggest or best or whatever adjective you want to use um thaddeus take this one first i'm just curious your thoughts three versus four uh so three is where i felt the show really like felt like it was on on its like really had its own footing really like things were firing um but i have to go four with the big season because four is there's so much that they pack in there the story they wrap up like the they wrap up the shadow war they wrap up the earth civil war it's just like an adrenaline rush i feel like i'm on a roller coaster when i watch season 4 so no contest for me i have to say season 4 that's the one that feels big and impactful i feel like i need to catch my breath after watching you know a, a good a few episodes of that season yeah, sure. Nathan, I feel like knowing you as I do, I feel like you might be cutting back against that. Or am I wrong? I'm sorry. I, I cut out for a minute. Did you? Did you talk? Were you, are you talking to me, Van? Yeah, Nathan, go ahead. I, I okay. just said. I, I said knowing you My as I do. Hung I, up. Sus- I <laughs> So knowing you as I do, I suspect you might have a different view, but I may be wrong. So what do you think? Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, no, I mean, for me, it's kind of funny, like, yeah, listening to Thaddeus speak. Um, because uh, to me, I am one of those people I know uh, JMS has talked about it a little bit that are a little disappointed uh, with season four. Not that season four is not great. But it just felt like the Shadow War wrapped up too quickly. And then, you know, to me, like everything with the Earth Civil War was such lower stakes after that, that I just felt like the wind was let out of my sails a little bit. Uh, now, there isn't great stuff that happens in the season. I, I want to make clear, I'm not saying I don't like season four. I do. Uh, but to me, like season three, because it just felt like everything was just becoming bigger and more epic along the way. Um, And I do like the sort of darker. I mean, uh, to me, you can't beat that intro of, you know, the Babylon project was the last best hope for peace. It failed. And it's just like, (laughs) what? You know, Uh, that was such a shock right there. Just watching that first episode and getting that intro and talking about how it was the beginning of the war and it was their last choice, like last chance for victory. And it's just like everything about that just like. It just made me more and more excited as the season went on and more and more invested. And, uh, yeah, uh, I, 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 to me, season three is definitely uh, my favorite. Yes, I had a suspicion. All right, Andy, what do you think? Uh, like Nathan, uh, Empire Strikes Back is my favorite Star Wars movie ever. Um, and that was such a great analogy. I never thought about that. But, yeah, season three is definitely – the the uh, the Empire Strikes Back of Babylon Five. However, season four trumps season three. I think um, simply because there is so much payoff 
everything everything gets paid off in season four, and mm-hmm. there was so much to pay off because there's there's so many different buildups for so many different character arcs that season four and like Thaddeus said, it's like bam, 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 one right after another, and it just it, it, and part of that was due to the truncated you know series mm-hmm. and and all that, but the, the payoffs were just nonstop. It was like the the grand finale of a, of a fireworks show. It was just it was nonstop. Um, booms. So yeah, I'm going to have to go with season four. You know, I probably would have said four before, and I'm not sure I'm going to go all in on three now. But I'll say this: I, I get, I can see both arguments very well. I, I can totally see why some people would say that the buildup is often more satisfying than the payoff because when you're building something up, you haven't had a chance to be disappointed yet. When you get the payoff, there's like a 50-50 chance you're not going to like it. So everybody likes the buildup pretty much. Then you flip the coin as to whether or not you're going to like what you get, the answer you get. So, you know, because some people don't like the way the Shadow War ended and some people have issues with the Earth War. And, and like you said, it, it is kind of anticlimactic after some of the... Th- Although I've, I've debated, debated this over the years, which should have happened, which should have ended first. And I think that they did it right, but I agree that because they did it that way, it was a little of a let off. But we'll, we'll get to that the next time we do this. Well, um, I mean, JMS yeah. is very much trying to fall, follow Tolkien... Yeah. You know, and we're and we're getting to the, yeah. you know, like, oh, okay, Little we've bit. taken care of the big epic. Now it's time to take care of what's going on back home, That's you know, right, kind yeah. of thing. So I mean it's right. it's definitely and, and, and so yeah, I mean I'm not sure it's the wrong decision, but at the same time for me watching the show the first time, it felt less exciting to me as a teenager watching the show. Right. Right. So for me, I I felt there was more satisfaction watching the wrap up of the Earth Civil War because I felt that was more personal for the characters involved. Yeah. So as much as the Shadow War I found, you know, big and epic and impressive, I found it more satisfying and sort of thrilling watching these characters having to go through a much more personal struggle. And so I you know, I don't know how much it was trying to do a scouring of the Shire or not, but uh, I found it that, you know, it really worked for me to kind of have that in that order and to wrap up season four, go right from the Shadow War to the Earth Civil War. Like, it was very rushed, obviously, because of the, the truncated, you know, things going on behind the scenes elements. But that was that's the part that I remember the most is the Earth Civil War stuff and not so much the Shadow War stuff. There are rangers in a place called Zaha Doom. He is doing Tolkien, okay. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, we, we meet in uh, the beginning of the season four a character named Delorean. Maybe a little bit. <laughs> no, this is I, I was much I was much more invested in the, the Earth Civil War. I think, to use the, the Tolkien analogy, the, the Shadow War and the wrap-up of the Shadow War was the uh, battle for Minas Tirith. And then the end of the Earth Civil War was was the uh, march and attack on Mount Doom. Mm. So there oh, okay. was, I, I, I hold that as equally as important as the wrap up of the Shadow War. I don't, I, I don't see it as so much as cleaning up the stuff back home, like the scouring of the Shire. I, I see it as, as the, the end, the co-end of the, the big epic war. All right. All right. Interesting. Well, let's don't go too, I, it's, on my, it's my own fault, but let's don't go too far down the, the season four path. Um, but yeah, no, that's all very good stuff. Very interesting stuff. Now, the, the, the first question I have, now that we've kind of gotten through the general stuff, 
what was your favorite story development from this season? In other words, what happened in season three that you're like, oh, that was awesome that that happened, that kind of thing. Let me go with Andy this time because he had to go last all the time. You know, mine was, and I always say this, Van, the Babylon 5 shines in the quieter moments. And mm. my favorite story development was uh, the, the blossoming and the development of uh, Sheridan and Delenn's love story. Mm. I, I oh. thought that was super well done and super cool. And and I know you chose it also because being a spaceship guy, when they have their big kiss, there's like a million white stars behind <laughs> them, which is, as I have said, the single greatest moment in space opera history, right? The, the, the human king of the galaxy kisses, right. the, kisses the alien queen of the galaxy while a fleet of awesome sci-fi ships fly by out the window. D- d- just You can't get any more space opera than that. You retire the trophy. It's done. So, okay. Yeah, I like and that a lot. Two and Bari become close as we that, are Jim close. Kirk. <laughs> there is a ritual that must be observed <laughs> by a dozen people. Yeah, there you go. All right, Nathan, go ahead. Tell us what was your favorite story development this season. <laughs> Oh, oh! It's definitely, uh, it's definitely Ivanova uh, and the ambassador. No, um, <laughs> Jakar's fall from grace. Oh, okay. uh, I think is uh, the 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 arc that Jakar goes through this season. Um, like I said before, you know, I, I front loaded this a little bit, but you know, like I said before, uh, Jakar was such an aggressive, antagonistic character, and watching him have to take the position of humiliation that he had to take at the end of the second season, you know, to be a, but, but he was told like, this is the thing you have to be safe, you know, because you are the only hope that we have, that we need to have someone that was part of the Kari that's still free. And so, you know, and that, and then his place on the station, having no like, like real position on the station and just being there, you know, so you see the things like the elevator, scene where he wants Londo to die, but he knows that he can't, you know, lay his hands on him. You see, uh, you know, when Veer tries to talk to him and he just slices his hand and lets the blood drop and he's just like, yeah. dead, 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 dead. You know, like, like, it's such a powerful, like, moving scene for, like, him. Like, even Veer, like the like the Centauri that has such a conscience for what his people are doing and, and hates every aspect of it, is trying to help any way he can. But Jakar is just so steeped in, in, in the horror of what's happened, and he can't see, like, Veer as, as an ally like that, to, you know, moving on to where he can work with Londo to get rid of Rifa and, you know, sort of getting into that arc of, you know, realizing that he is stronger, you know, uh, by working with others instead of just being the very much Narn first you know, like soloist kind of person that he had been up until that point, you know, partially aided by the fact that he met King Arthur. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> did. Uh, but yeah, um, yeah, I, I think Jakar's arc and, and where they go with it, that is my favorite part of the season. Nice. Thaddeus, I have not asked you, right? Well, uh, no. And my, my answer, like in my, my heart, is the one that Nathan just gave, that character arc for Jakar. It's so powerful. It's so moving. At least over the span of the entire show, I would have to say Jakar is probably my favorite character, uh, especially watching that development. But to you know, get away a little bit, just give a, a different answer, the first thing that popped into my mind was just the, the leaving of, uh, of Earth, that, that mm-hmm. breaking away. Um, not just because it has, you know, real consequences that stick with us, you know, like we mentioned before, 
but because it's an example of our lead characters taking a stand, not willing to just protect their corner, protect them themselves, you know, oh, I'm still going to be a good person, but to like really in a very fundamental way that you don't see in a lot of fiction um, that felt real, felt moving, felt inspiring. You know, we're, we're in a, a political climate that is very charged right now in the U.S. Um, and in other places around the world. And the idea that when you're seeing somebody who by all accounts is the legitimate, you know, elected official, but is enacting tyranny to say, we are not just going to stand for tyranny. We are going to do something, even if it's a hard choice. Just having that, that that show made that statement uh, will, will be be my pick, given that Nathan already said Jakar's arc. <laughs> yeah, I mean, JMS has said he wanted to create the American epic. And I think, you know, that, that evokes, like, you know, the sort of feelings of the American Revolution and whatnot of, you know, for, forever, whatever the actual history is, like, you know, the sort of myth of the American Revolution is the, the, the destruction of tyranny of the, of the evil British king, you know, and all of that. And again, it's one of those things that makes you just like, I, I showed this to a friend of mine. He punched the air when like, yeah, when Sheridan declared independence, you know, it's just like, it, yeah. it, it gives you that sort of like feeling of, of just, you know, like, yeah, yeah, we're, we're with you man and there was so much build-up to it in terms of everything with the night watch you know mm -hmm. that xenophobia that you were seeing that oh, was yeah. playing into that fascistic handbook and saying no we're not going to put up with this we're not <clears throat> going to allow a xenophobic tyrant to be in charge of us anymore and then yeah. it's all capped and, off and that that one that i would i was just going to say that 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 changed the entire premise of the show i mean the show was completely different structure after that than what it was before you know i mean it oh, yeah. it van and i even talked about this after, you know when we were reviewing that episode it, it completely changed everything about that show where it just wasn't even the same show anymore mm -hmm. yeah the yeah. um i was gonna say and then the uh if that's george washington sheridan declaring independence then you have lafayette de Lynn with the french <laughs> <laughs> flying in and telling them to basically get the hell out of her airspace um I, you know, it's a tough call for me because there are so many good developments in this season, and the the, the John and Delenn relationship is certainly big. But I, I think I have to go with just declaring independence, just because we've we've seen romances before, even really good ones like this. But I don't think we'd ever seen anything like the main characters of a show basically leaving their own show and starting a new show in the middle of the series. That's just a, that's just kind of new, you know, and that was kind of yeah. mind-blowing. So it's not like, you know, Starsky and Hutch started suddenly working security guards for a, you know, a corporation in the middle of the season of Starsky and Hutch or something. So, um, yeah, that's all right. So, Andy, let me ask you this, because you're kind of our arbitrator of these things. We've, we've kind of put the Orenzento Ari Benzane overacting award on the shelf because it was fun for a year or two, but... We really didn't have anything for it this year, so I just have to ask, is there anything is there anything from season three that needs to go on there, or have we pretty much retired it at least for now? Uh, I, I, as, as much as I want to say that, that Lord Rifa's eyebrows should still deserve this award, <laughs> I, I, I think that um, I, I think that it's time to retire it. I mean that I, I mean you, you, we're not going to find any better recipient than the namesake, the, the Ari no. Ben Zane. So, no. 
It, I think it's time to retire it. I think they and we we have pretty much effectively retired it in in our. I, I don't remember really even bringing. I was looking back through my notes and I I didn't award that to anybody this see. No, we replaced it with something else. So I just I had it on the old yeah. template and I thought, well, I'll ask. So. All right, gang, here I'm we go. Curious, this I, I, oh, go ahead, Nathan. I was just going to ask you guys, like, yeah. as you're going through, because you're going through linearly and everything, to me, it seems like the quality of the production, like, increases with yes. each season up to season three. Three and four, I think, are about equal as far as, like, quality of, like, the show. Like, did you guys feel like everything from, like, the acting, so therefore probably the direction, you know, is better, you know, like, mm-hmm. sets, effects, everything seemed to be just getting better. You know, and, and, and I feel like that's part of this is I feel like, you know, like the show's actually arrived in season three in a way where it's yep. kind of like, you that, know, like we don't get any yeah. performances like that. Anymore. I would agree. Although that, that's uh, a great. Go ahead, Thaddeus. I, I just want to toss out an honorable mention for the overacting award. Like I said, I only got a chance to review one episode and okay. there's a, a small uh, unnamed character in the conviction episode the guy who's sitting next to Lanier at the beginning of the episode um, looks like he stepped straight out of 1991. Big, colorful jacket, mullet, mustache. And he <laughs> says, hey, I don't mind you, my Mimbari. I got hair. You got a boat. It's okay. You know, I'm, right. I'm going I'm to nominate that guy. I remember that. <laughs> yes. How did we not ever talk about that the first time, Andy? Well, I remember, well maybe we did cover that guy. That was... Oh man! I, I think we did. Well, the the to what Nathan was saying, um, well, to what Thaddeus was saying, th- there is always going to be that underworld uh, character that JMS tries to throw in there. Yeah. That's that is bound to be a bad actor. I mean, yes. it, it's it's. I mean, Richard Mall sealed that deal for oh, that one. The king. But to, to to what Nathan was saying, yeah, that is a regular topic of of our discussion between Van and I. How the sets improve. I mean, except for the the council chambers, the sets improve, the costumes improve, <laughs> I mean, the effects Special improve. Effects. So yeah, it's it it right. <laughs> it definitely it, the production value goes yeah. up even in in mid season for mm-hmm. for season three. The production values go up. It does. Yeah, yeah, I think that I think that season the, the the beginning of season three when there's still a little episodicness to it, it's still a little bit like season two. It still seems like an extension of season two, but by the time we get to about the middle of season three. It's it's different. The effects are better, the sets are better. Uh, they're focusing more on the more serious stories to a large degree, and I think from there all the way through four, it just does kind of get better and better and better. I and we'll talk about this obviously down the road, but I think even season five looked really good. I think it they mm-hmm. kind of gotten it to where the a lot it just was it was slick. It looked really slick. They just didn't have as much obviously material to work with, which will <laughs> obviously that will come up in due course. Um, and- yeah, you can see the development of of um, oh good golly, I, you know me, Van. I forget his name. Sheridan, Captain Sheridan, the actor for Captain Sheridan, Smiling Johnny. What's Bruce, his name? Bruce Boxleitner. Bruce Boxleitner. You can see his development as an actor from the beginning of season yes. two to the end of season three is absolutely phenomenal. It is, and you can it's see his great. hair become more and more rigid with more and more hairspray. As it does. <laughs> It's longer and thicker. He gets the mullet. He gets the space mullet and everything. It's awesome, and blonder too. I think he gets blonder. There, there may be a correlate. Right there may, (laughs) there might be a correlation there. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah. You know, like Andy and I say, he's smiling, Johnny. The first couple of episodes of season two, and by the time that uh, his actual real life wife shows up at the end of season three, 
he's doing stuff with his eyes that's <laughs> subtle and sophisticated. And I'm just like, whoa, look at Bruce, right? This is good, man. So, uh, yeah, he, I think he's he, getting he, more comfortable in the role. He, he was, yeah. I remember, I remember one yep, of the reviewers. That's, that's it, Nathan. Then. I remember one of the national reviewers saying, you know, the, the, so it may have even been ba- uh, the, it may even be that TV guide back behind me, but somebody national said, you know, the show is this, the show is that, and they said, and Bruce Boxleitner has been a revelation. Hmm. I'll, ne- I'll never forget that phrase. All right, we got to do this. Best season three episode. Nathan, best season three oh, episode. Don't hit me. I want to see what everybody else is going to say. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> oh, you, you will. Ah. <laughs> uh. So this Take is like I had team, like 12 Nathan. different choices for this one. I know. I know. It's, it's true. It's true. <sighs> so you narrowed it down to half the episodes of and the that's season. That's right. That's I, it's like half the season yeah. could be like, wait, like this is this is the best. Like it's so much easier in the first two seasons. It's like there's like the two that you have to choose from for the best yeah. and the two for the worst. And it's like, okay. But um, yeah, uh, I'm – oh, man. Um <laughs> Shall we come back to you, Nathan? Would that be good? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just gonna go. <laughs> I think I'm gonna go with Zaha Doom just because I, I, it was such a surprise to me. Yeah. Um, uh, like every, like everything about where that story was going, like what, what is happening? You know, Anna Sheridan is back. Like, what does that mean? Why is Bruce going, or not Bruce, why is John going with her to uh, Zaha Doom? Like, what could he be thinking? Like, I did not see the end of that. <laughs> and and you gotta, you gotta oh. admit, that is a fantastic thing when he's just like, oh, by the way, there are nukes in the ship and it's coming down, you know? And then it's like, oh, everything just sort of like clicks in your head. Like, everything that the sea, like you'd been told up to that point is just all like, oh, okay, like, yeah. There's no wasted space here. We, we're pulling it all together. Um, and, you know, like uh, the intercutting with the, you know, message he left for Delenn. Yes. And all of that and having to say goodbye to his wife. And and then the jump that leaves you in that uncertain, like, cliffhanger. Which, you know, the way that they showed these episodes where they would go immediately. You know, the break was actually like a few episodes before. And then they went from the end right. of season three to the beginning of season four immediately. So you didn't weird. have to wait that long. But even that week... <laughs> That you had to wait between that <laughs> ending yes. and the beginning of season four, like felt like interminable. As you're just like, how are they coming back from this? What is going to happen here? Um, was just was just so good, and it was one of those like great experiences. There are very few episodes of TV in general that I can think of that were that specific to me where I was just like talking about it with people who didn't even know what I was talking about just because I had to talk about it. You know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. best of both worlds. Part one is one in star Trek, the next generation. That was an episode like that. This is an episode like that, where it was just like, Oh my God, like, like (laughs) what, what is going on and where are they going to go from here? So uh, I'm going to, I'll go with Saha Doom. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Andy, I try to mix it up. So Andy, favorite episode of the season. You know, I, I, my job was a lot easier than Nathan's because I have a handy notebook with all of my ratings for every episode of the season in it, and I just flipped through it and found the one that I rated the highest, oh, look at which you. happened to be Severed Dream. I gave that mm-hmm. one a five stars. So, um, I, I and looking back at it, it, it was just such an. It had my most favorite moment in the entire series, almost my favorite moment in all of science fiction, film, or television, 
was be somewhere else. I I just absolutely love that scene, and uh, I love the entire episode. It was absolutely fantastic. And mm-hmm. you, you got it right this time. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Thaddeus, what do you think? <laughs> so I think that there are a few really standout episodes in terms of, like, this is just great storytelling. This is fantastic in terms of television in general, television making, um, and then also works particularly well for this series and these characters and the story they are telling. I, I think Zaha Doom, I think Severed Dreams are... are two perfect examples of that uh, point of no return right before severed dreams, possibly also rock cried out, no hiding place, like just really just solid impactful moments of television, but none of them are what I'm going to pick. Um, Interesting. <laughs> I've known uh, Andy for a long time. And uh, I think Andy, uh, do you want to, do you want to tell everybody what my pick is going to be? I'm going to say, hold on. Let me, let me guess here. I'm going to say late delivery from Avalon. Got it in one. <laughs> I love that episode to a ridiculous degree. <laughs> it is it is such a fantastically fun episode. Michael York there, dear sweet man, acting his heart out as this erstwhile King Arthur. Uh, I mean, and I'm a, a sucker for the Arthurian myth. And it's a really sweet and poignant kind of reinterpretation of some of the elements of the Arthurian myth, you get such an interesting beat there with Jakar where he steps into that heroic role before he is really a hero on the show yet. Um, You have Marcus just being at his flamboyant, most fun. Um, You know, it's just a really fun and kind of interesting and, and poignant episode but then also just adding the Arthurian elements and a well-done take on the Arthurian elements that really delves into something like the meaning of Camelon and the significance of that one knight who drew his sword and started the battle when they shouldn't have and tying that into the mythos of the series. It, it hits me, and I have a deep love for that episode, but I'm also a sucker for the Arthur thing, so it wasn't a hard sell for me. Yeah. You know, I, I said it as a joke, but I do actually think this is an important episode for Jakar's development, even though it's never referenced specifically in a later episode. The fact of the matter is, Jakar gets sucked into the Arthurian myth yeah. too, and into the idea of you know the egalitarian knights, you know, sharing mm-hmm. responsibility and 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 doing justice and all of that kind of stuff, and that sort of sets him off on a path. You know, as he as he progresses. So yeah, no, I yeah. I, I, I for think a moment great. things are simple. They were the bad guys. We were the good guys. <laughs> they made a very satisfying thump when they hit the floor. <laughs> That's such a great line. Um, you, you know, I'm gonna go with one of the big ones, but before I do, I've got to tip my hat to one that I think deserves more recognition than it probably gets, and that is passing through Gethsemane. That is a yeah. strong, strong, strong standalone episode, and it's it's about it's probably like the it, it honestly it's the believers of season three in a way, and yet it doesn't get as much remembering of that one uh, remembering as that one does and talk back about it. But I mean, it it certainly doesn't hurt to have Brad Dorif doing anything on your production, right? And that just adds to it. So I do want to mention that one, but because uh, it may be the only chance it gets mentioned, but. I'm, I was torn between. I think I, Andy can probably tell me tell you better than I can. I think I gave War That in one and two, 
and uh, Severed Dreams, both a five for this season. Maybe Zahadoom also. I was just slinging the fives this season. It's crazy. But um, the thing is, War Without End, it's it's very convoluted. It is a two-parter, and it relies so much on Babylon Squared, among other things. It's It doesn't really stand on its own very well. I'm not saying Severed Dreams stands on its own in terms of being set up, but it is kind of a Star Wars of an episode. You know what I mean? It's like it gives you a beginning and a middle and an end within what it's doing. And it's not nearly as complicated and hard to figure out. So I'm going to have to say Severed Dreams because, again, it just changed the whole face of, of things. And, and still, I mean, I've probably watched that episode twice as many times as any other episode easily just for fun, you know. You put it on like you'd put on Star Wars or something. So I'll go, I'll go that one. Um, I, I, so, I'm actually well, shocked that no one did pick Passing Through the Yosemite because I would have picked it if, no, if I had known no one else was. No, no, that's fair. I, I, I just want to get something for the record, Van. You agree with all of my criticisms of War Without End. I mean, just going by what you said there, you agree with everything that I, I disliked about War Without End. So Smoke that, weed every day. <laughs> I have the soundboard, Andy. You cannot defeat me. Um... You know what it is? Andy made the call of, lo- of of not liking that episode that much, and then he looked at me and he said, Come after me! I'm a man! I'm 40! <laughs> I gave it three stars, man. That's three more than I gave some Come of the on. other episodes. Come on, man! <laughs> I'll keep pushing these buttons all night, Andy. You can't... You're not gonna... I got a million of them. No. I, no, I know. I mean... I'm, I was giving those reasons as reasons why it's not my absolute favorite of the season, but I still think it's an incredible accomplishment and worthy of more than three stars. That's just me, though. You're entitled that, to your that opinion. That was the no other one, War Without End Part 2, that had me talking to people who didn't even know what Babylon 5 was because I had to just talk about how perfect everything like came together at the end of that episode. Oh, gosh. Anyway. Yeah, you know, we talked about this. The thing that was so amazing about it was it, it was reading JMS's comments after he wrote it, He after he wrote War Without End, he said... He said, basically, this was the upper limit of what I'm capable of doing as a writer. Basically, he said, putting that together and getting that all together was an incredible challenge. And he's like, I don't think I can do much more than that, you know, in terms of... of Well, even having to course correct from where his intentions were when he made Babylon Squared, but still paying off Babylon Squared and having to write around that. Like, that's that's amazing. Oh, it's absolutely... That's a good point, yeah. It's absolutely incredible, yeah. And having, like random mystery people in spacesuits you have to account for with a different group of people. Oh, yeah. I mean, he didn't know Marcus Cole was going to be on that mission back when he wrote uh, Babylon Square. You know who Marcus Cole was back then. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's it's really remarkable. Um, I lost my page here. Aha. So, all right. Let's, let's hit this one a little quicker because it's negative. What was your least favorite season three episode, Thaddeus? Um, so like I said, I haven't gone through and gotten to rewatch all of them, but the first one that really stands out to me is A Day in the Strife. Um, the Garibaldi talking to Franklin about his stim use feels very like 90s heavy handed anti-drug messaging that like we were getting all over the place at the time. And that uh, larger plot about the probe that's testing them. And then at oh at the end they realize the test is a test and uh, yeah and then they trick it very easily and that really obvious turn like it, it was trying to be very clever 
and I didn't feel as clever as it wanted it to, wanted to be. Um, it, and the stuff with Franklin felt like okay, now we're gonna have to deal with the somebody having a drug dealing drug usage story arc. <sighs> I guess okay, like <laughs> it. Yeah, that that's that's the. There might be some really good stuff in that episode. I'm forgetting. I haven't rewatched it recently. N- Nafar. Um, so my is apologies. The main, Nafar is the main. It's the thing, one that yeah. jumps out to me. Yeah, is the main thing. Yeah, Nathan, what do you think? Least, least, least successful. Least favorite. This is the one that I left blank because <laughs> I didn't get the questions very much before the episode or the right. season or the yeah. the, the episode. But um, all right. So just sort of scanning through trying to think about it and maybe i'm wildly wrong but just going by my memories i'm gonna go with walkabout Mm. which you know isn't a bad this is the problem there's no bad episode in season three (laughs) andy has a coronary (laughs) i just i don't know i don't really care about dr franklin meeting himself on walkabout um you know the 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 telepath thing is nice but you know it's not really the the greatest you know thing that they ever did the fighting shadows and I, I I don't know I just um walkabout was my second choice Nathan okay all right yeah so that's the thing it's just like it has more to do with I cared less about it even though you know I'm sorry I know I know um, um <laughs> Andy okay. declared him dead to him oh no <laughs> I, I know that um oh god I'm blanking on his real name but Dr Franklin's actor put in a terrific performance. Right. I just didn't really care that much about the resolution to that. This, so this, yeah, th- this is where Andy wishes he had the soundboard so he could hit this button. Right. <laughs> it, it was for me with that episode. It was the whole plot with the singer that Franklin at that. It yeah. just oh, yeah. that felt too heavy-handed and too preachy to me. And it wasn't the first time we've dealt with Franklin in that kind of a situation either, which always gets a little creepy. Andy and I have talked about that. Um, <laughs> all right, Andy, go ahead. Oh, golly, so. I've probably received my last uh, Christmas card from Thaddeus after declaring this, but my least favorite episode was no. the late delivery from Avalon. No. <laughs> and I am such a huge Arthurian fan, just like Thaddeus. Not, not that has Michael it. York in it. How can you not like it? <laughs> Go back and listen to the episode. We'll discuss it. <laughs> no, it, there was just it, – it tried – and I think I, I – I mentioned this to Van when we were reviewing it. It tried so hard and it came so close, but yeah. it failed on every level. I mean, it, <laughs> it, if a, just a couple of those things had come together the way that, that they were trying, it would have been a great episode, but it, it, it just it didn't work for me at all. And, and I was very disappointed. And I remember the funny part is, and this, we'll touch on this later. <laughs> <laughs> it did to me, but it did to each other. We'll touch on this later, but I remember liking it so much more when it first aired. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. I'm, I'm, All right. I'm where's surprised. that? Where's that sound bar buttons you were playing earlier? Ben? <laughs> I'm with you on this one, Thaddeus. Blame yourself. There you go. I gave you blame yourself. I um, I'm surprised nobody has said this one. The when I look at the list of episodes of season three, the one that I just kind of go. Why was that even? Why was that even there? Is Exogenesis? Mm. I mm-hmm. I just you know it, it's a whole episode of putting centipedes into guys' backs, and it's like didn't seem like Babylon Five to me. It didn't really go anywhere. There wasn't even like like some of them have a fairly strong B plot. Like D- Day in the Strife at least had Nafar, the new the new 
like um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, the the southern France in World War Two. You know the the um, Vichy, uh, the, B, the Vichy, the Vichy ambassador. Yarn. Yeah, and and I mean, you know, walkabout had a little bit more of of this shadow war stuff going on in the background. And, you know, they all had something, but Exogenesis didn't even really have a much of a B-plot of any note that I can recall. Something about Ivanova, but it wasn't, you know, it was like, were we going to let Jakar into the conspiracy or not? Hmm. Everybody's like, well, I think we know how that's going to end. So, um, yeah, that one just didn't really seem to be going anywhere. I, that's the one that I would, in, in JMS's words, fall off the pier into the water and never have to look at it again. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I think, think the of that one to because us I don't a, think of that one. I, I think I think the point of that one, and the problem is we've all seen the whole series before, was it was supposed to be a Marcus-centric episode early on to give oh, us more yeah. of Marcus and his personality yeah. and everything. And then once you know, once you've had that, I like the fact that it wasn't like if this was Star Trek, it would be an alien invasion story, and it turned mm-hmm. out at the end that no, these things are actually helpful. That's you know, true. and I felt like that, like you know, made made it like an interesting story. Although That's you're true. right, they we never they never pop up again, so. Yeah, it was a very uh, yeah, we brought story. that up in our di- in, mm-hmm. in our discussion that that exact point that Nathan just made. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. All right, what was the what was the best character in season three? This is going to be very interesting, Andy. What was the best, best character? new character or character overall? Any character over who 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 basically shone the best in this season? I, this was a really tough one for me because I I I love Jakar's arc. I absolutely love it, and he had great character development in this in this season and if you would have asked me before we did our rewatch i would have said oh jakar hands down but after our rewatch and and our discussions i want to say that uh captain sheridan is my favorite uh, yeah. character for the season i i think uh, he just he just surprised me i mean it, it was it was fun to watch him develop as uh, as a character and as a commander and the decisions he had to make and all that stuff. And that's not even getting into the, the whole uh, relationship with the Len. I, I thought he had to make some tough decisions. He made some really tough decisions and uh, I, I thought it was just fun to watch. I'll just go ahead and say, I agree with Andy on that one. I, I was, I wasn't sure um, because Delenn had a really good season too, but I think a lot of it is with him and through him and association with him. So I'm going to agree that it was Sheridan. Thaddeus, what do you think? I think Sheridan is a really good answer to that. Um, you know, at the, as we, we mentioned before, like when he first comes onto the show, he's very much generic leading man type. Um, but by the time the midpoint of this season comes around, he, he's really shown a lot of backbone. He's shown a lot of, of character fortitude and growth and depth um, while still being dynamic in ways that you want to see. Um, I will have to go though with the answer that I, um, you know, for the nostalgia factor of the character that most spoke to me when I first watched this show in my late teens, uh, in particular this season, cause I remember, um, making a Halloween costume, uh, the year that I first watched the show as Marcus Cole, hey. uh, because he's, he's a fun character. He has some very... He, he's a very light character. He, you know, you don't get a lot of the real serious stuff with him. Um, he's a lot of, you know, on the fringes, which is appropriate for the character. But he also has some real serious insights. I, I forget if it's this season or season four where he has the line about taking great uh, comfort in the universe not being fair. 
Um, and that's such an insightful line and something that I think about all the time. But more than that, he's also just fun and charming. And that was the character when I was in my late teens. I was like, yeah, that's who I want to be and who I dressed up as Hello, who I dressed up as for Halloween. So Marcus Cole. Very good. All right, Nathan, what do you think? Did we? Well, Thaddeus and I are apparently like staying in this sort of like parallel course here because I also put down Marcus. Um, and I think that there are probably half a dozen different answers that would be fine for this question in this season. But the reason why, I mean, there's a few reasons I chose Marcus. A, I haven't gotten a chance to talk about him yet, you know, because he comes in fresh. And, and I think that freshness is part of the good, you know, because we have all these other characters we've already followed. And here's a new dynamic that, you know, um, comes right into the show and starts shaking things up. And, and everything's that, you know, he's charming. He's fun. Um, but you know, we also have like, you know, the, the backstory, you know, the tragedy, the, the tragic love with Ivanova that we all saw and just all kind of went like, oh man, no, no, I mean, I get it, but no, man, this is, this is not going to go well for you. Um, and I mean, at that time, not knowing how not well it was going to go for him, but you know, it's, it's not going to go well for you. Um, but you know, you're kind of watching it. You kind of like, yeah, I've been there. I understand, you know, and, and, and I like that. I like that he was a character that was able to bring in like a lot more of the, we've been on this station. And now we've got a guy who's been moving around and he can go on these little like short hop missions and do things. And so we sometimes take a character and go off with Marcus and we do something and all that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, sort of worldwide character, but also the character who as a human defended Delenn with his life and was able to get Naroon's respect Naroon of all people um and and you buy it again because of how well that they you know have presented him as a character so yeah uh, i absolutely love marcus and he was such a delight uh, to get in this season marcus got a shout all right i think that's did we get everybody on that one i think we did all right mm-hmm. two sheridans two marcuses so i'm gonna go first on this one because i haven't gone first yet because I have a very strong opinion about this one, and I'm not sure, I'm, I'm curious to see if anybody agrees with me. Most surprising season three character, like who kind of surprised you with how they were, what they did, whatever happened to them, and so forth. And the, I kept thinking about this one, and I was like, well, I, I kind of wanted to go with Sinclair, honestly, because he surprised the crap out of me by showing up and then by becoming freaking Valen. I mean, that's some pretty surprising stuff. But I think over the course of the season, though, the character that surprised me the most, and we I don't think we've mentioned him for anything else so far, is Londo. Mm. And here's why I say Londo is the most surprising. Because by the end of season two, he was in the process of taking his heel turn and becoming the bad guy instead of Jakar. And so going into season three... Because, again, we were still learning what this show was, right? We were, we were still making assumptions. I thought, okay, so Londo is now the bad guy. But as soon as you start thinking Lando's a bad guy, he starts doing things, often with Veer, you know, but he starts doing things that, that remind you why you like him. He never goes completely heel. He always, you know, he'll, he'll do something. And there were a couple of times, Andy, that you and I talked about this, that we're like, man, Londo really went there. You're like, I don't know if I can even like him anymore after that. And then the next episode, he's back to being funny and wacky and getting drunk and stuff. Or, you know, he goes after Rifa, or he tells Morden to get lost or whatever. He keeps, he keeps, or he feels so bad about his woman that we know he loved. You know, he just keeps having these moments 
that bring him partially back and saying, I'm still worth you caring about me. I'm still worthy of being redeemed somehow. And that really, for all the attention that Jakar rightfully gets, I think Londo, it blew my mind how layered they made him there. So there's my case for Londo. Uh, Thaddeus, you want to throw yours out there? Uh, um. You know, Sinclair was the first one that jumped in my mind also, as you said. Uh, I, I think what you said with Londo is a great answer. And in terms of the, like, where are they going with this character, I'm not exactly sure. And it's one heck of a journey to watch. He's a really great answer. Um, just to kind of stick with the the initial vein, though, of the idea of, oh, that was a surprise. I'll say Anna Sheridan. <laughs> well, that's... Because <laughs> I remember the first time watching that, it's like, oh, that... Wait, oh, okay. What? Okay. <laughs> Can't argue with that one. Heck no, man. She looks very different than she looked in the video message she left for him last <laughs> yeah. season. Laura Ingalls, what are you doing here? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that too. All right. Um, I like how they went back and even reshot like the little bit of the video message for like the flashback of that episode yeah. with her in it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Nathan, yeah. you wanna you wanna do yours then? Uh, yeah, this is another one I feel like you could give half a dozen answers easily like to this question because of how just about the entire cast develops and changes in this season. So, uh, But what I'm going to do, I'm going to go a little bit different. I'm going to go a little bit strange. Um, I'm going to go with Nehrun, Oh who, uh, you know, uh, from the first two seasons... I would not have thought that Naroon would uh, be, be swayed by anything. You know, uh, I would think that they would have had to kill him to keep him away from Delenn. Um, and this is sort of the start of, of me, like, completely falling in love with that character. <laughs> because of the idea of the honorable warrior and everything. And then that's what he is. And that's what you discover that he is in this in this episode. And that Marcus actually, like, causes him to really reevaluate, you know, his belief system. Because of the whole idea of, like, Mimbari, don't hurt Mimbari. And that's exactly what he was doing. You know, like, they're not supposed to hurt their own. And, and here a human is defending one against him. And then he suddenly realizes that, like, everything that he'd been doing, like, his path was completely wrong. Um, and, and I felt that, like, the, suddenly he became a three-dimensional character. And um, I, I thought that that was fantastic. And uh, so, yeah, I, I, the rune surprised me a lot. I think he was a very more interesting character than we ever thought he would be when he first came along. I mm -hmm. think that's certainly a fair thing to say. Uh, Andy, you haven't gone yet. Uh, I'm going to say the one that surprised me the most, and I'm shocked that I'm the only one that mentioned this, but is Jakar. He did not go down the path that I assumed he was going to go down. I thought he was going to be the angry Pazan, and he would be seeking revenge against, you know, the the uh, uh, the the author's downfall and all that stuff in the route they took him, the peacemaker and the hero and, and, yeah. and just the, the way they developed that character was totally opposite of what I was expecting. So I, I thought that great, uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? It, it just uh, twisted the expectations of uh, what I'm sure everybody had about the character. And I really loved what they did. And it was a really big surprise for me. I was, I, I was talking to my, partner earlier before the recording and saying that the one thing that really makes this show stand out to me and really really elevates it is the character growth and dynamic with Londo and Jakar. 
it is it is what happens with those characters, what they do, that more than anything makes this show really feel like something special to me. Yeah, I just felt like I'd mentioned Jakar several times already, so I wanted to do something <laughs> different. But I totally agree with you. I mean, Jakar is such a surprise and a delightful surprise uh, this yeah. season. There's no question. All right, uh, v- Veer was my second oh. choice. Yeah, Veer was another one, yes, oh, wow. that I thought of. Yeah. I didn't even think about Veer. That's interesting. Huh. Um, Abraham Lincoln? Yeah, <laughs> to have the guts to do the Abraham Lincoln yeah. thing, yes. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, let's combine the next two. We're going to have our break here in just a second, then we'll finish up in a minute. But let's combine who was your favorite guest star and who will you miss the most after this season? Because several, um, I, I made a list. All right, let me throw out some nominees for both to kind of speed things along here. So guest stars, there are more than this, but the guest stars that I came up with off the top of my head, uh, I'm, I'm going to combine character names and actor names because I don't always remember both. There's Anna Sheridan, obviously. Justin Morden, Brad Dorif as the the priest, the 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 monk, Sherry Shattuck as the blonde headed propaganda lady, Michael mm. York, Walter Koenig, uh, William Forward as Rifa, the Baptist minister in The Rock Cried Out. There's a quite a few interesting, and there's others, Brother Theo, right? There's quite a few. So, and then. Um, who left the show after this season, for better or worse? We lose Kosh. It's like the segment of the Academy Awards where they go, in memoriam, Kosh. Uh, we get the last of... What, I'm not coming back? Um, and we lose Sinclair. And we lose Anna Sheridan. So she got blown up. So, all right. Favorite guest star... We lose Kosh, but we gain Kosh. Yeah, we kind of do. That's true. We lose the kosh we love and got the kosh we deserve. How about we say that? Oh. <laughs> um, all right. So favorite guest star and who you're going to miss the most. Andy. Uh, favorite guest star was uh, Brad. Uh, I, I just loved that episode, and I loved his character in there. I thought it was spectacular. He did a wonderful job with it. Uh, just the nuance that that character required it could have been horribly over the top you know yes. given to a, a lesser actor and he, he just nailed it um and as far as i'm gonna miss most kosh i just loved the character of kosh he was so alien and weird and cool looking and Dar- darth kashi is is just not the same as as our <laughs> original kosh oh darth kashi is not no but enough uh-huh. about my eBay name. Uh, Nathan, what, what, um, favorite guest star <laughs> and character you missed the most that, lo- that we lost? Uh, well, there were two for favorite guest star that sort of warred uh, with me, but I'm going to go with Michael York. Um, and this is where I was going to talk about a late delivery from Avalon, uh, just because of how I felt like, you know, not only does he give us that performance of a sort of, you know, like uh, traditional, like sort of medieval heroic you know, kind of figure, which of course Michael York, star of stage and screen, you know, can can pull off in his sleep, uh, but uh, also gives us the sort of you know idea of this is a psychological trauma and the broken man and you know all of that kind of you know aspect of it that that gives you like what what is this like why why is this guy here um, and um, you know I, I really like that I like the scenes with Shakar especially. Uh, in that episode, I love the way that they that the 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 chemistry those two have together, and uh, and yeah, I, I really loved having him on the on the show. Yeah. Oh, and as far as character, I mean, it's got to be Kosh. Um, love Kosh. Love the enigma of Kosh, and 
it was so sad to lose that that character that 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 Merlin figure you know yes. that we had in the show since of course Marcus tries to then like have everybody on the show fit into the Arthurian like myth like wait a minute who's <laughs> you know who's this who's that um mm-hmm. but yes our sort of Merlin figure uh for the show our, our advisor our our you know uh, our enigmatic wise one um and uh, and yeah I, I definitely would have been fine with him continuing through the whole series I've always said that uh, part of the problem, and again, I don't want to do any spoilers or get ahead, but part of the problem with season five is that by that point, you've lost so many good characters. It's not that the writing was worse in quality, it's just they didn't have as much to work with. There just wasn't as much to work with because we lose so many good ones. So, um, all right, who hasn't gone yet? I lost track. Uh, I haven't, but I don't have a whole lot to add there. You know, Michael York was great. It's always wonderful seeing uh, Walter Koenig come on. but I have to agree with Andy. I think Brad Dorif, uh does a stunning job. Very, very subtle uh, performance. You know, it's it's this mystery that, in his own mind, that he's trying to unravel. It's not one of my favorite episodes, just because I'm not drawn to the really dark storylines. That's a really yeah. dark episode. But Brad Dorif's performance is is really pretty sublime in that. Um, and of course, yeah, with everybody else, uh, you know, I like Sinclair as a character. But we had already kind of lost him by the time yeah. we lost him again. Um, he, as we mentioned, it was a surprise to even see him. Uh, so yeah, it's it's got to be Kosh. You know, he was interesting, enigmatic, and occasionally just a little bit bit funny in that weird, quirky sort of enigmatic way. That's true. Yeah, I agree about Kosh, and I guess I'll I'll with with a nod of the hat to William Forward as Rifa, who just was so good as an actual. I'm not going to go back and forth like Londo. I'm I'm full on villain. But uh, uh, but yeah, Brad Dorif. I wish he could have. I wish they could have used him more, and I wish he could have had a bigger role because my gosh, he's so he's so good, so talented. Um, all right, I'm gonna pause here for just a second. I think everybody's gone, right? Yeah. Um, to thank our patrons, and we only have a couple of comments, but I do want to, as always, thank our patrons. They that keep our program on the air. They include Allison Rich. Colonel Dad, a.k.a. Ari Benzane, I am missing my category, mister. Emma Jane Alexander, Leah G., Rich Hammett, Debbie Norris, Dragon Con Delin, woo, Emmanuel Seaman, Jalza, Lady Sif, Mond06, Michael O'Connor, Stu Parker, The Geek Boy, Heather and Yancey Steingraber, Hour of the Wolf Maine, a.k.a. Daft Zeppelin, Ice Cream Clone with a Boba Fett head and Michael Halbrook. Thank you all so so very much. And I always enjoy the comments that they post. And they just had a couple this time after we did... um, um, Andy and I did our deep dive into the details that we didn't get to cover the first time around. We actually did like, what, three and a half hours of analysis of Zaha Doom. It was crazy. You and your 21 pages of notes. We did an hour and a half (laughs) normal episode on Zaha Doom. And then we came back and did another two-hour episode of stuff we didn't fit into the first hour and a half long episode. It was insane, but stuff that Van didn't fit into the first episode. I, yeah, yeah. And I think our patrons were all left stunned by all this wall of information. <laughs> but Colonel Dad said, "Absolutely a great fun episode. I laughed out loud more than once at you guys cutting up. We did cut up a lot in that one." Uh, great addition to the Normal Review Podcast. Look forward to all your future podcasts. Thank again. And Emma Jane says, this was a completely hilarious episode. Love listening to it while I work. Thanks, guys. So, Andy, basically, people think that we were funny 
with all of our wacky talk about 21 pages of deep dive right. details on one 40-minute episode of a TV show. That's pretty horrifying that we did that it, much it was fun to record i i loved yeah. recording that episode because it was we weren't talking about anything specific we we're just talking you know we we're just bsing on the couch about our favorite show and, yeah. and those are always the best episodes because it's well, so much fun i i th- i like that we have a structure to our normal episodes but i think that also just makes it fun when we kind of go off the track sometimes and the whole podcast goes <laughs> like that and then we end up you know just being nutty all right Gang, we've got two questions left. And the first one is, what episode surprised you the most? And I said this time, if you have one that you just want to say surprised you the most overall, that's fine too. However you want to couch it is entirely up to you. But whether it was surprised you, you know, if you just watched it again like Andy and I, or just surprised you the most ever. So, Andy, what do you think? Which one surprised you the most? I have two for this one. I'm going to cheat. The first one was interludes and examinations. It was better than I remembered it. I enjoyed it more than I... I I didn't remember much about that one. I think we talked about this during our our discussion of it. We didn't really remember much of what happened in it. And watching it, just the emotional impact of some of the the scenes was was, uh, very memorable. and, And I enjoyed it a lot more than I remember enjoying it. And the other one would be War Without End. I I know we joke about it, but I remember absolutely loving this show, this these particular episodes, and thinking it was the best science fiction out there. But watching it this time, it was kind of a letdown. Maybe I, maybe I had set my expectations too high, but it, it just seemed kind of like a, a hot mess. And, and I still gave it three stars, mind you. It was still, <laughs> it was still a lot of fun, but but it did oh! have story structure structural issues. And he did try valiantly to, to tie everything up, but there were still loose ends that he missed. So I, it, it just, I, I didn't like it as much as I, I remember liking it, and that was a surprise to me. Yeah, Andy says that, and all I can think is I don't have facts to back this up. I can't wait to get. I'm so happy season three is over with, just so we don't have to discuss that damn episode anymore. <laughs> I think probably our listeners are too. They 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 know the deal by now. They know that the first time Andy said it, I said, "You can't be serious, man. You cannot be serious." And it just kind of went downhill from there, honestly. Um, okay, uh, Thaddeus, what which one surprised you the most? Uh, the one that really jumps out to me would be uh, "And the Rock Cried Out No Hiding Place." Wow. Okay. Um, I was honestly expecting Rifa. Um, I mean, certainly, you know, on the first watch, and, and re- this is really when it surprised me. But even on some rewatches, I'm, it's a little bit like, oh, wow, they, they really did kind of go there. Um, I was really expecting Lord Rifa to be a more permanent figure, yeah. to be this kind of consistent foil against Londo. Um, I felt that was so really the what, they had, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. what they had really set up. Um, and so to do away with him... Uh, and do it away with him in, in such a, I don't know, interesting, poetic and poignant sort of way uh, really caught me off guard. I just remember the first time watching that and my jaw was just open. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. That's a good. You, you got, yeah, y'all have mentioned a couple interesting ones because, I mean, I'm thinking there's two in this season that are just like mind blowing surprises. I didn't get mentioned. So, Nathan, 
Most surprising one. Uh, yeah, and I'm sorry. I don't know if you guys can hear it. My 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 neighbors have motorcycles that they're revving for no reason. You're good. I apologize. Um, but a uh, sick transit veer uh, is one that the last time that I rewatched surprised me, and the way that it surprised me was. Uh, again, like I mentioned, I was like in my mid-teens the first time that I watched it. I always had a more positive view to the idea that um, that uh, that that Veer's, uh, you know, betrothed or whatever was uh, someone who could be like she had been taught incorrectly and could be like reformed, you know, later. And this last time I watched it, and I was like, I don't know what I was thinking because she is she is horrible. Like She's she space is, Nazi. Yeah, yeah, she is a space Nazi. It's not. I don't think anymore that it is just a matter of like uh, she's been indoctrinated and maybe she could be like freed from mm-hmm. that indoctrination. Um, so yeah, no, like that. I don't know. Again, it's just like the way when you grow up and you, your perspective changes on things or whatever. But yeah, that's that that surprised me. Now that's a good. Well, call. And that's I think a lot of the credit to the actress and the acting in that episode. She comes across as you know so innocent, so sincere. Mm-hmm. You know, you really want to believe the best of her. You want to find a way to give her the benefit of the doubt. Well, you want to have Veer have a... You, you know, also want I, Veer to be happy, Veer too. to have some, you know, like, brightness in his life, too. I feel so bad for Veer all the time. So, yeah, there's that, too. Well, well she's going to bring light to his life, but it's the light of the burning Centauri cross at the Centauri <laughs> clan rally. <laughs> Good Lord, she's one step away from Centauri... QAnon. I mean, that, I just, I don't. Yeah, I don't. That that did that disturbed me a great deal. I was, I was yeah. I, I mean, I hate to be conventional because you guys have kind of like, you, you guys have kind of like shown a flashlight into some corners I hadn't really thought about. But for me, it just comes down to the big two. I mean, I'm I've, I've been wrestling over which one was a bigger surprise. Was it bigger surprise for Sheridan to declare freaking independence? and not get arrested by Clark? Or was it a bigger surprise for Sheridan to nuke his wife and the shadows and jump <laughs> off a cliff? And I'm like, you know, those are pretty big surprises. And I, I'm going to say it's a tie because I, it's my show and I can do that now. <laughs> but I know, I don't, I don't know. I think it is kind of a draw between those two, but uh, there we go. All right. Here comes our last question and I'll let you guys mercifully go. Um, Nathan, I'm going to start with you. This old question that that uh, that Andy and I do every week per episode, but we're going to do it for the entire season. Who won season three? Uh, the fans won season three, Van. <laughs> this was a show. Like, like this was a show that was already amazing and groundbreaking and different than anything else that was on television at the time. And then, you know, it just kept getting more and more amazing. And season three, like I say, is where I feel like season three was where it became not only just this is another sci-fi show that I'm watching and became this is the science fiction show that I'm, you know, like this is this is this is transcended everything else uh, and, and has become like like the best thing that, you know, I've seen up till that point. Um, so, so yeah, like, uh, I, I, I mean, to, to answer the question more seriously for, you know, uh, the purposes of, of the show, I mean, I think Jakar, I've already talked about Jakar a lot though. I feel like Jakar won this season because I feel like everything that they were doing with Jakar, you know, just catapulted him into a more interesting space, uh, you know, a total surprise, you know, what they did with him, uh, and all that. But yeah, I, I think the fans won this season. Yeah. 
Uh, that That's is. legit. Uh, so my kind of off-the-cuff joke answer is Dr. Franklin for admitting that he had a problem and getting the help <laughs> that he needed to overcome it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, just fair. one of his problems. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and I think Nathan made a really good point about the fans, about, like, they, they really won for having gotten to this point for the show really existing and hitting its stride the way it did. Um, just because I think we haven't really talked about her barely at all, uh, I, I will say Ivanova. You know, mm-hmm. she is really such a steady presence throughout, and she doesn't, like, jump out and have the, like, you know, huge character arcs that we see with the other characters but she is such a steady part of that resistance right from the beginning in that way that it just couldn't have happened without her. Um, and she's not the one that's, you know, showing up in the hologram, talking to everybody on the Zocalo. She's just the one who's there making it all work. Um, and so so I'll give it to Ivanova. You know, it's interesting you know, that you... Van and I have often... I'm sorry, Van... Van and I have often discussed throughout the, the, the three seasons how Ivanova, the character of Ivanova, yep. is the emotional and moral core of the show. And, and without her, and, well, you know what? We all know where, where, where that goes. But You get the um, gathering. Yeah, she, she's <laughs> right, right. She is, she is the, 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 yeah, or Byron. She is the core of the show. So that's, a, that's an excellent point. <laughs> she speaks the Babylon 5 mantra. She does. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I was actually going to mention this, and I I thought just now when you said Ivana, I'm like, oh, I almost forgot. I never got a chance to even for this to, and it never really came up. But I was actually going to say, and and I wonder what you think, Andy, just particularly because you and I have talked so much about this. I actually felt like Ivanova got less to do this season than the first two seasons. She was, remember Andy, Andy, the the big revelation that Andy and I talked about from the first two seasons was that she did so much more in the first two seasons than we remembered. And I'm looking back now and I'm thinking, I think one of the reasons, Andy, that I think that we felt that way was because season three and then season four and then obviously season five, you forget how much she does in one and two. She still does stuff in three, and I don't disagree that she's super important, but she, I felt like if there was any character that kind of lost ground in terms of airtime and stuff to do and all, she got some good moments, but she didn't get near as many of them as she did in season one and two. Does that make, what do you think? I agree 100%. I don't think she was the, the go-to uh, person for Sheridan that, that she was for Sinclair. Um, yes. I, I, I mean, she does some stuff, but uh, it, it felt like you know halfway through the season they tossed her a bone with the relationship with uh, with uh, Marcus. So, yeah, I agree. She doesn't do quite as much, and maybe it was because like what what you said, she did so much those first two seasons that it, it, yeah, just having her be an average character and getting average amount of airtime, she seemed you know it, it did seem a little bit of a step back for for the character. Yeah, I think that Delenn kind of steps up and gets some of her airtime in, in third season because Delenn was not in the first two seasons near as much, I don't think, as she is in the third. Right, so. right. And Delenn becomes John's emotional su- support like of, uh, Ivanova yeah. was for, for Sinclair, yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's true. Um, did, let's see. So have you said who won season three? No, I have not. I, I went with the Vorlons because they ultimately get – you know the destruction of the shadows. Dang it. Dang it! You know they they get rid of that. They get rid of that that progressive you know upstart Kosh. Yep. Um, <laughs> and, and you know 
everything seems to be falling in place just how they planned it for them. So I, I think the Vorlons right now are are, are winning. Andy, it's like <laughs> Doctor Evil and Mini Me. You complete me because I was I was thinking the exact same thing. I'm like, you know, I, I can like make pink, pinky in the brain. Yeah, yeah, man. Um, you can make a case for some, but I think by the end of the last episode, Delenn has believed she's lost something, and to a degree, she has. All the uh, Garibaldi, God knows, right? Um, everybody is kind of like the shadows have definitely lost something. Uh, Anna Sheridan definitely lost something in her life. I mean, everybody's kind of lost something. Londo's kind of in the emotional wilderness to a degree. Jakar's kind of in a changing situation, but he's, I don't think we can say he's winning anything, not yet. But man, the Vorlons have, like you said. I'm sorry, I just thought of Zach Allen. I was like, I'm a main character now. Woo! (laughs) That's true. That's true. That's fair. That's fair enough. Yeah. But no, I'm, I, I think you're right. I think it's the Vorlons. I think that's why, and we can't say, but I think that's why one, that's one of the things that's very interesting about the season of the beginning of season four is at the end of season three, it looks like the resolution to all this is going to be something involving teaming up with the Vorlons to win the war or whatever. And we, again, no spoilers, but we, that's not quite the direction it goes. And so where we leave it here is a very pro Vorlon situation. To a, dirt, to a degree, depending on how you yeah. define their mission statement, right? So, all right. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, let's... I got everybody, didn't I? I get so confusing after we've done this a number of times. I think all so. Right. All right, I'm going to go around the yeah. horn one more time. Your last thoughts about season three, yeah. anything you want that you haven't gotten a chance to say before. Uh, we'll start with Thaddeus. Your last thoughts about season three. Well, I mean, mostly my thoughts are that I need to rewatch this season, which, of course, means I need to rewatch the whole show. I mean, what else is there to say that, uh, other than that? What can you do? That's right. There you go. It's worth it. We've certainly enjoyed it, haven't we, Andy? Yeah. We absolutely have. Uh, yeah. More so the second time around, I think, than the first time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Nathan, final thoughts about season three. I think the only thing that I want to say is, you know, because I keep, I keep sort of circling around about this season and about how the show arrives here, but it's also because it's the midpoint of the story. Um, what this season does is it starts giving you, uh, you know, because season one and two, as as the first two seasons, had to present more problems and ask more questions than it gave you answers. And season three is yeah. where we start to see the sort of transition from that to we need to start resolving things as much as we start creating new problems and, you know, asking new questions. And the structure of Babylon five is one of these things that I'm always in awe of just because of the fact that like never before and never after has there been a show so perfectly like arced, you know, even, even be even around the fact that surprises happen behind the scenes that they had to adjust for. And, and I think, I think war without end, I know I'm going to bring it up one more time, Andy, war without end is the perfect example of that. Of, of Babylon 4 set up a bunch of stuff. And if you've ever read the original outline from JMS, you know it was a very different like uh, uh, scenario that that would have played into. But being able to take that, being able to say, oh, well, okay, and, and we got to deal with that, uh, but still do something that's meaningful for the story as a whole and, and how we've had to adjust things and everything like that, and being able to pull that off in a way that, yes, it's not perfect. There are still a few errors 
Uh, but again, like to pull it off as perfectly as it did and still have a show that, you know, that, you know, it has a through line and has a plot that that, that was a very important storyline for and everything else. I'm still like sort of in awe of all the strings JMS was constantly pulling to, and to make this like wonderful tapestry. I'm going to mix my metaphors. This wonderful tapestry that is Babylon 5. Um, so, um, yeah, no, I, I just wanted to say that. Like, the, the structure, I think yeah. that structure became obvious as you were watching the show with season three because of that sort of transition that season three is. And right in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. Andy, your final thoughts about season three. Uh, season three was the, the, the season of television that changed my, my tastes in storytelling and in science fiction television forever. It was right around, you know, I was such a huge fan of Star Trek, the next generation. And I had started watching and enjoying deep space nine, but it was somewhere around uh, the middle of season three that I just I, I, I didn't purposefully stop watching DS9. I just kind of forgot to. And I never I never went back to Star Trek after that because it just didn't appeal to me anymore. So, yeah, season three changed how I viewed television and how, how I viewed fiction in general. That sounds like it could be one of the openings of the episode of the, you know, the credits like <laughs> Babylon five changed the way we saw television. Yeah, no, I I agree with what you guys are saying. Um it, it, like I said, que- questions often are more successful than answers because, like I said, you, you, you don't necessarily disagree with questions. You disagree with answers. And so as long as we're asking questions, everybody's on board. You don't start having squabbles until we really get to the beginning of season four, I think, and people get the answers and they're like, oh, I didn't like that answer. Well, but you, you, you know, so, yeah, I think that season three just doesn't, there's not as not, there's not as much to alienate people in season three. There's not as, there's not as much to turn people off in season three. It's a very appealing season and it's got some incredible high points. It's got, like I said, I, I rated at least three different episodes, five out of five, which I think that might be more than all of season one and two put together. So, or pretty close. So yeah, there you go. Well, gentlemen, thank you all so much for uh, for coming on board. Thaddeus, thanks for coming in, and uh, yeah. hopefully we haven't seen the last of you on the show. And uh, Nathan, as thanks always, you, yeah, you are always so appreciated as well. We miss you, Bobby. I hope you're uh, you're doing all right out there. Andy, you and I will return in two weeks to talk about Hour of the Wolf. Looking forward to it, Van. That's going to be a fun one. It'll be fun. All right, guys, we're going to get out of here. Thanks a bunch. Thank you. This has been a White Rocket Entertainment production.